0: It was a life-defining moment, which now I'm forever grateful for. But if you saw me in that moment, it was kicking, screaming, full resistance until it was just like so devastatingly painful that I had to surrender.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Live Into Your Brilliance podcast, the place where we shine a light on the human condition and blow up any illusions that might get in our way. Um, As always, you have your duo of hosts, and this is actually our first in person live together episode which is pretty cool. <laughs> so I've actually got my hand on my brother's knee as I welcome him into the
2: podcast. Billows, how are you doing? Good mate. Thank you very much. And it's so awesome to be here. And I'm super chuffed that this is our first podcast together. And I'm super chuffed that we're doing it with such a special guest. Oh well
1: that sounds like you better let the people know who we have the pleasure of joining us in conversation today.
2: Cool, so I'd love to welcome and introduce uh, Amy Jensu. Um, I uh, was fortunate enough uh, to be introduced to Amy um, when we were doing some work together at QuickBase in Boston. Um, and uh, she uh, is, the, is the author um, of uh, a book which we based Uh, a large portion of our leadership uh, program and curriculum on called The Leader You Want to Be, Five Essential Principles to Bringing Out Your Best Self Every Day. Um, She's also the author of the Washington Post bestseller, Own the Room, uh, Discover Your Signature Voice to Master Your Leadership Presence, and currently is the co-founder and managing partner of Paravis Partners. A boutique ex- executive coaching and leadership development firm. Um, Amy serves on multiple boards. Um, I think you're on four or five boards, Amy. Um, uh, she was formerly a consultant, management consultant at uh, Booz Hamilton, uh, Booz Allen Hamilton. Um, she's a Harvard MBA, um, and uh, she she has her a psychology degree from from stanford um but i you know i was fortunate enough to observe amy sort of hold the room and hold the space with 140 leaders uh and 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 provide um some of her insights for the quickbase team and then she's been a fabulous partner and a super generous partner um as we've uh, based our leadership development program on her five principles work and so i'm absolutely delighted to have you on the show so welcome amy
0: oh thanks so much you both for having me i'm so happy to be here and mark it's been such a pleasure in terms of our collaboration and partnership at quickbase and really the you know tip of the spear Really revolutionary things you and the team are doing there to support leaders. So, to now get to be here with you and Al in this way uh, is super meaningful and special. So, thanks for having me.
2: Thank you. So let's let's dive straight in. Um, you know, I, I said to you before we we went live. I, I'm intrigued because I've known you in in the capacity as this high powered executive coach, um, author. Uh, uh and leadership transformation maven but i don't really know your full story and, and I'd, I'd love to for you to tell us your story um tell us how you sort of got to where you are now at paravis and some of the interesting things you you uh, saw along the way and some of the awakenings you had
0: that's so funny when you think about how much we've worked together, Mark, right? Never had the chance to really share the backstory. So I appreciate the opportunity to do that here. I think if, you know, we went all the way as far back to childhood and you were to ask my parents, what was the thing they remembered the most? They would tell you that I always um, was doing homework or walking around the house with a phone cocked to my ear. Uh, listening to people's stories and problems. I was that friend, that girlfriend, uh, you know, to all my friends growing up. And I share that in that it was a seed to sort of where I am today. So I've been thinking a lot recently about what I would call kind of a person's authentic through line through life. And so if you imagine there's a through line or thread through each of our lives, I would say that, you know, for me is an important Origin point, sort of just an interest in people, their stories, uh, the problems or challenges they're facing. And that then carried along the way uh, to undergraduate, where I was a psychology major and fell in love uh, with a class called the Applications of Social Psychology, which was, you know, an important moment. Um, and then I think I f- continued to follow that thread into the business world. And while I began my career in a strategic planning finance function, I think even in those corporate roles, I always was just drawn to the people and the talent and the leaders who shaped and molded me, which then really led to at some point realizing, I think I just need to do that, you know, as an expression of life. And then here I am, sort of 20 years later, after the founding of Paravis, still you know i pinch myself every morning i can't believe i get to work with leaders such as yourself and folks at quickbase and other organizations who are living through their authentic through lines and trying to discover what that means and what that expression is at every moment of life um, and it's such an honor and privilege to be a part of that
2: yeah and and the one thing that that i i, I loved sort of reading about you is is you know you you did the psychology degree at stanford um but you've also you know thrown yourself into ancient wisdom and eastern philosophy and and you've, you you your yoga and and meditation and so you've 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 really blended multiple disciplines interests philosophies to and, and it comes through so loudly in in the book you know the the leader you want to be and it it's wonderful to see I think and it's quite a brave insertion of those elements into what you know typically is a very corporate, somewhat sort of sterile genre and and I think that's really resonated with people, so I'd love to uh ask you about your your interest there and how you sort of consciously blended those things
0: I think this search for who are we, who am I what was I meant to be and the impact or contribution I meant to make in the world has been around in terms of, you know, ancient philosophies, whether East or West. And so I just, again, in the seed of being so fascinated by that question, both in my own life and observing it in others' lives, turning back to, you know, very many thousands of years ago thinking, whether Eastern or Western, has been really, um, you know, part of my own study and my own learning. I think the Eastern thread obviously comes from being raised by immigrant parents who, you know, we were raised in a family where Eastern tradition and philosophy was very important. My father, from the as far back as I can remember, spoke about that there was a middle way, you know, translated in a Western world, we all grew up with the story of Goldilocks, you know, too hot, too cold, too big, too small. And my father used to always just say, like, where's the happy medium? Like, search for that. And it was something he talked about all the time at the dinner table. And, you know, so that was really important. And I think the other marker was you know, back when I was in the corporate world, there were a couple years where, not dissimilar to many I work with now, we can end up pushing through our bodies. We can end up working more hours than they exist. And I found myself after a snowboarding accident, kind of with a devastating chronic back condition for a couple of years uh, that folks may not know about. And I spent two years really in physical therapy healing. And really turn to both Western and Eastern medicine uh, to help really help me recover. And so during that time, you know, I ended up working deeply with a yoga teacher who taught me that yoga was not about doing fancy poses, but was simply where my back was on any given day, and if I could sit up without pain, that was a win. And that was what I had to honor and be present to. Um, And I worked with a wonderful acupuncturist who sort of rebalanced my energy during that time. And it was really during that crucial period that I realized, you know, while I appreciate the roles that I had, I was a square peg in a round hole, you know, for as much as I love my finance colleagues, I wasn't born to do that. I didn't have the natural aptitude or energy profile for it. And really it was during those two years that I made the shift to becoming a coach.
1: Amy, there was a couple of things in what you said there. You know, when you um, asked the question, you said about the question that people kind of go in search of, who am I? What's my purpose? I'm really curious as to what you've discovered for yourself on, to that question. You know, if someone said to you, oh, who are you? Or how do you answer the question of who am I? What does that look like to you now?
0: It is such an ever-evolving Discovery, isn't it? Right. That in any given moment, um, I think I now think of the question of who am I as at this moment in time? What part of the unique alchemy that, you know, I was gifted with and we're all gifted with am I choosing to express? And that expression is going to choose to manifest a little different in every chapter. Right. As a college student that manifested as somebody who loved the study of psychology and did research with one of my professors. When I was at Booz Allen, that expression was how do I facilitate teams and help draw out others' points of view? I think now it expresses very differently, in that, uh, you know, even in my board roles, I think I'm looking at organizations from a far greater systems perspective in terms of how do we, you know, sit within an investor's envelope while still growing talent, bringing heart to the balance sheet, uh, you know, still remembering that culture can be a competitive differentiator. So again, there's a thread or an authentic through line that's, I think, been constant. But there's been a dynamic expression of that that's evolved. And that, I think, for each of us at every chapter of life, we have to uh, be true to ourselves and find that next expression.
1: Do you think that there's, is, I love that answer, by the way, uh, that and I, 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 the, uh, the origin through line or the authentic through line is a, a very beautiful way of looking at life. Do you, do you see that as like surrendering? You know, I, we've talked about before on here, you know, Michael Singer's The Surrender Experiment. And I love the way that you talked about, you know, what is being expressed kind of through you at any point. Is that something that you have found easier to kind of surrender to over time and kind of be, oh, that's what's coming through me now? Um, I'm, I'm curious how you see that because you use the word choice in there as well. And so where, where do you see it as being like an active choice or where has it been like almost the, oh, that's what I'm going, that's what's coming through me now and allowing that to emerge?
0: I love that word surrender, right? Um, probably a lifelong journey and not easy for those of us who also have a control freak, need high need for control dimension, such as myself. Um, I think in earlier chapters, when one is younger, as you are sorting out identity and building appropriate structures and containers, the world of should and the voices of others Uh, which are well-intended, cloud and make noisier. I think the discovery of what's that next authentic expression or contribution I want to make. I know that in the two years that I mentioned to you both when I was recovering from chronic back pain, I resisted a ton. The idea that, oh my goodness, is my career changing? I, I think prior to that thought, You know, I'm a Harvard MBA. I should be a partner in a consulting firm by 30. And the truth was, the surrender I had to face and the reality I had to face was, I'm really not suited for this job. I'm really not actually happy. I'm not bringing my highest contribution here. And I will tell you a lot of the two years of going through coaching school, I actually went through yoga school, like, you know, worked with many different healers a lot of the release was there's a loud should that i think there's some linear path i'm supposed to follow and i think that was a big turning point for me in that no i got one life here and i've got a contribution to make and what is that going to be and it takes a quite a bit of courage and you know to hang up the shingle and say i'm stepping off the corporate path I'm going to start my own business, hang up the shingle. And I can remember at my first five-year Harvard Business School reunion, all my classmates saying, are you crazy? What are you doing? You know, how are you? What does this even mean? This was back in early 2000s when coaching wasn't a thing, right? It wasn't defined. It wasn't as prevalent. It wasn't as known. And that was a really big moment in my own development to kind of say to my husband, give me 2 years and let's see if this becomes anything but i owe it to myself to give this a try
2: i love that and I, and it's thank you for being so vulnerable and 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 um and putting that out there but the the thing that i love the most and you know it's part of why we we are having fun with this podcast is because we love blowing up these illusions and the illusion that you're pointing to there for me is, oh, I'm a Harvard MBA. There is this linear path, and you thou shalt not deviate from it. And as human beings, we—and not all of us see this—and hopefully, you know, through this podcast and and various others, we we can point to the fact that as human beings, we have these attachments, and. And we allow these attachments to define us in such a way that when our sense of who we are based on these attachments runs up against what's actually happening, and there's an incongruency there, we are flummoxed. We're out of kilter. And only when we realize that that attachment no longer serves us well, and we adjust, um, and, and you know, God forbid we don't. We don't then accumulate a new set of attachments, but often we do. Um, but when, or we can have that pivot, that that sort of awakening when we realise we are not our attachments, and we can observe ourselves attaching. Um, it, 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 you know, the real power kicks in, and and I think that is one of the most wonderful and powerful illusions for us to blow up is to say you are not your attachments you are not destined for this linear path because you are a harvard mba or, or you know whatever the case may be and i think you know you you talk about this this sort of traumatic injury and this this time of reflection and seeing and i wonder Prior to that, w- was there this inkling? you know, what what were you seeing? What was the awareness that was building that ultimately led to you sort of bravely uh, stepping off that linear path?
0: You know, I think our bodies don't lie. So while I had an injury, right, it was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. So I think a lot of times, uh, when there's actually inside, Deep unhappiness or incongruency to a greater truth, uh, you know, the universe, our bodies, there's a lot of like signals that get sent, right? So prior to that time, you know, if you had asked me, and again, this is, there are people where this is what they're meant to do. This is just not what I was meant to do where, you know, it's two in the morning and I'm running an analysis on pricing and margin, which I'm forever grateful that I have that skill set and that I was trained so well by so many people. But I think somewhere, even as you're um, engaging in the work, somewhere inside, you know, this is not me. This is not where I feel energy. This is not where my interest curiosity peaks up. It was like a grind. It was working out of a level of preference beyond, you know, sort of normal adaptation to any job. But I think because the illusion or the attachment to, you know, a societally defined version of success was so strong, I was unwilling to look at it or face it. And so somewhere I now look back at, you know, somebody in the universe knew they needed to get my attention and maybe that's why I had the snowboarding accident that would finally, but I'll tell you both, you know, the truth is even the first few months when I knew I had to do physical therapy, I kind of resisted it. I took meetings like lying on the floor with a pillow just to show how strong I was and that I could push through this and I don't need to do physical therapy you know, and so looking back now, you know, it was a very humbling moment. It was a life-defining moment, which now I'm forever grateful for. But if you saw me in that moment, it was kicking, screaming, full resistance, you know, and out of your point, zero surrender until it was just like so devastatingly painful that I had to surrender.
1: Isn't it amazing how that works? You know, the, there's that... um people will talk about what's the perspective that you choose to have does life happen to you or does life happen for you and it stri- it strikes me that like uh, to such uh, like that society now to is so intent on trying to coordinate life and to make life be the way that they think it should be rather than allowing themselves to be in the flow of life and to, to be open to what is the gift in this. And, you know, because uh, there's a book on my bookshelf and I think his name is um, Will Fraser. It's, it was a young man who was, uh, you know, up-and-coming rugby player, went on his first holiday, dived into the sea and broke his neck and has been paralyzed from the neck down. And he says he is utterly grateful for that moment because he thinks his life has been far better as a result than it would have than it ever was before. And what I'm leading with is kind of a question around. It's amazing to me how many people suffer like a a serious back injury or what looks like a catastrophic injury or has a major illness. And through that, they're able to see the possibility of life so much more deeply. And I'm very curious as to how you think about helping people see the truth of that, who perhaps haven't had the gift of you know, it sounds weird, haven't had the gift of an injury to open their eyes, um, you know, more, maybe more abruptly. I'm just, I'm curious how you think about that and if that's part of your work with people is to help them see the truth of that more fully.
0: Such a good question. I, The distinction coming up in my mind is sort of what the learning is when we're in the tunnel versus when you're out of the tunnel. And so I think as a coach, when I have a leader going through something acute or a challenge, um, you know, challenges come all the time in different forms. You know, I think in the present moment, you're addressing their immediate concern. You are in the tunnel with them, trying to provide a flashlight so that they can find the next rock or next step to get to. Um, But I think then the work when we're sort of out of a tunnel, if you will, or you're on the other side of something, um, you know, I can reflect back to both of you now in this, you know, eloquent way looking back, but it's, you know, it's been years of looking back and reflection. And so I think there is work we do on a daily basis around Uh, building the muscle to accept what is and what is reality in its full form, which is sort of presence and mindfulness work on a day-to-day basis. And then I think there is the retrospective work that we never give ourselves time. I have asked every leader I work with right now that our um, final sessions in December are to do a big lift up and look back on the year. You know, what were the wins? What are we celebrating and applauding? What did we learn? What did you learn about how you uh, face different things and the, the moves you choose to make? So much of the work is we all have a first move, a default move that's well ingrained and habituated and sometimes is the right answer and the right move, but sometimes it absolutely isn't. And so my goal as a coach is, and as a leader of my own team is, what's the second, third and fourth move? so that as life throws you its wonderful soup of positive and negative challenges, you've got many plays in your playbook uh, so that you can continue to enjoy different situations and audiences or navigate them as they come. Mm-hmm.
1: I um, I love that. It makes me think of two things. One, um, I don't know if you've ever seen, there's a clip of Tom Hanks and he's with a bunch of actors around the table and they're having some conversation and he's... He's like, I wish I'd known this when I was younger, that this too shall pass. <laughs> and he says, you know, when he's like yes. riding the high wave and he's like getting his Oscars, this too shall pass. And when he's maybe released a dud and it's not gone well at back box office, he's able to just know that this too shall pass. And myself and Mark were talking today on our walk. And I'm saying that's one of the things that I find a lot of peace in now is knowing that although there might be suffering in the moment, that you can both be, as you put it, so lovely put it, you can be in the tunnel and just be with that, but know that at some point you'll be out of the tunnel. Mm. Um, and so I just love, I love that idea. of being able to know like, oh, I'm in the tunnel and I can just be there and just look for the next kind of, next safe harbor the next rock but at some point I'll be out of the tunnel and I love your um, the reflection it's an interesting thing that I've noticed as well I'm curious what you how you might see this when we reflect back it seems to me that there's also like being able to reflect back for insight rather than judgment it seems like in some ways like we can the the habit that's most prevalent that I see is that people sometimes look back and then they they use their past often to judge themselves on what could I, should I have done versus been able to kind of really, as you said, lift up and go, what is the, what is it now that you've seen having walked the path for the last year? Is that something that you notice? Is that something that you help people? Like how, how do you help people really start as they lift up and reflect to kind of start to um take those insights on board and and nourish them and and allow them to become a rich part of their being as they move forward.
0: Al, I love that you are highlighting this. It has blown me away how on some level we're unkind to ourselves. I've been blown away, you know, as I've worked with just well meaning, incredibly hardworking, high-integrity leaders, how absolutely hard people are on themselves and would never treat others that way in the way they treat themselves. And yet it's a real growth to be able to say, I'm going to afford myself what I naturally afford others in terms of space and non-judgment and reflection. So I think that's number one, that we all need to recognize you know, it's time to stop being unkind to ourselves. Uh, You know, it reminds me of the Mary Oliver poem, wild geeses, we don't have to walk on the desert repenting on our knees anymore. Um, And so I think you're calling out something really important. And then second, I think the look back is in service of that every given year that we have, we are growing every leadership moment, every experience you had was like weightlifting at the gym. You're building reps. And so the question for me is, tell me about those reps. What reps did you get? And one of my greatest joys in the work is I, um, with every coaching program, write a codified playbook for each of my leaders to say, after six months, a year of working with you, here's what I've learned about you. And I have kept my notes as you've talked. And here's the best of, here are the conditions, here are the situations, Here are the people. And so we just never take time to celebrate um, or to do an audit, if you will, around, it's never going to be 100%. But if you got 60% of what you intended, that is great. Right. So in addition to this authentic through line, I'll I'll tell you the second thing I'm I'm always listening for two things for a leader. One, what's the authentic through line and how does the chapter that we're working in together you know tie to this origin thread? And then two, what's the line of progress that's forever embedded in that? And growth. And like let's keep celebrating those two things and if you just feel into those two things and celebrate them and look for them and express them and contribute, that's a pretty rich and full life. Like when people ask me what defines a good life, I would say those are the two markers for me.
2: And I love the way, you know, in your book, and for those who haven't read it, I love the, um, the, the concept of leader A, leader B. And, um, you know, when we're, when we're in leader A mode, we all know that feeling. We're, you know, we feel like we've got all the time in the world and we, we're feeling connected and, and we just feel in flow. Um, and, and, and then when we're in leader B mode, we tend to feel overwhelmed. We tend to operate more from a place of fear and, 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 uh, and, and we, we've, feel like we've got no time and, and, and we're sort of in the basement of our thinking. But what I love about what you point to is even as we oscillate, cause we're human beings and we naturally oscillate between leader A and leader B, and that will never change. Like, you know, nobody spends their entire existence in sort of leader A, A mode, not even the Dalai Lama. Um, and, and, uh, what, but what I love about what you point to is be aware of where you are at. So even if you're in leader B mode, if you're down in that basement and you're really struggling to get out of there, to be able to observe yourself there and then take a beat, take that sacred pause or whatever it is that you need to do, and then reorientate and and adapt and move forward from that place. And you might still stay down in leader B mode. You might still be in in and really struggle to get back up. You know, some, some people don't naturally just start uh, uh heightening their consciousness and and um and 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 operating from a higher place, but but being aware of where you're at and and then from there taking the, the the necessary step forward and and i think the other thing that i love about what you've what you point to is sometimes you can be in leader a and things are very uncomfortable things are very very hard but your your come from in those situations makes all the difference and um so i i I'd, I'd love i'd love you to talk about that a little bit more because I think, and, and, you know, you and I have discussed this in, in on previous calls, like sometimes people think, oh, well, I have to be in leader A all the time. Like I've, you know, that's where, that's my destination. Or, you know, if I'm in leader B, then I'm miserable. If I'm in leader A, I'm, I'm super happy. Um, and I'd, so I'd love you to sort of um, blow up some of those illusions for us.
0: I think, as you said, Mark, leader A and leader B are just a heuristic to give words to the human experience we all have towards, you know, there are times when I'm conscious and present enough that I can make a more effective, constructive choice. Uh, And there are times where, you know, the lens is just blurry and the illusions are running the tape. And I'm going to make a choice that leads to a negative impact or I know isn't good for me. Um, And so I hope people take away that, you know, life is going to be overwhelming and stressful. We're going to have our good days and our bad days. And really the question is, when you come to that moment, are you aware of your own cues and markers? You know, I know that as I hear myself with my team getting increasingly impatient or my tone is shifting, I feel the energy in my body rising, I am getting very close to a slippery slope moment of leader B, right? Or on a overwhelming day, um, you know, and I, I think I shared this in the book, you know, I'm from a family of diabetics. Sugar is not our friend. I'm 52 now. I just actually had an annual physical this week and the doctor said, no, no, no more on the sugar. And so I share that in, that in the face of overwhelm or stress, which is part of just life you know, I would say an A moment is I go for a handful of nuts in the kitchen and a B moment is, you know, I kind of know the candy bar has a very, very different impact, negative effect. And there's days where I'm like, forget it, I'm having the candy bar, fine. I'm self-soothing. Like I'm aware enough that that's what's going on. Um, and you, and so I think it's just, you know, A and B is really just awareness in any moment of what am I actually feeling? And sometimes I know when COVID hit, our family created what I called the sad rug. So being sad isn't leader B. Being sad is just part of you know, a pandemic hit and we were all sad that life changed. And so I said to my family, we're all gonna have moments of grief. Uh, so it was a very leader, a response to say, see this rug in our sunroom. If anyone's having a moment, go sit on that rug, go cry, let it out, get real. And then the other family members, the ask was, you know, to gently offer to sit on the rug with the other person or to just give them quiet space. And it became like this beautiful practice. So, you know, the sad rug was very leader A for me, uh, B would have been to deny that we were sad in the change um, or that we have moments of deep grief. Yeah. Actually denying it would be leader B.
1: Well, I just I think, and you've mentioned this before, it reminds me of the Thich Han Hanh uh, phrase, no mud, no lotus. And I just think that sometimes we have the illusion that strikes me that exists is that there's a place we can be where we can always be happy and great. And I think the opportunity that just gets presented in this conversation is to really put a, put a stick of dynamite in that and blow it up, to be like, no, there is, there's no life that exists anywhere where there's this kind of panacea experience uh, that's perfect the the experience is this kind of imperfectly perfect experience and so rather than kind of seeing if we just took like the happy sad lines as being like either one's better than the other it's like no that is the experience that is the human experience but it's the awareness of that which is the gift and i just think it's kind of pointing to that place that's further back from the oscillations of feelings in the moment, to be like when we can be with all of it and know that it's all okay. Like really that to me is what I think Amy is pointing to is that is leader A. It's like it's all okay. And when we're in that awareness, that is the kind of place of peace and, and the come from that holds most opportunity for us. And it's just that sometimes we forget that and we get drawn right up like it's kind of we get drawn right forward into the illusion of the moment and we just forget that and that's almost like the leader b is sometimes we just kind of forget the truth of that and that's also okay because we'll come back out but we're just we're pointing to to something which i just think is is so important because i i I know that i've i say it still all the time oh the idea of there, I'll say something, be like, yeah, when, when we get there, it's like there's no there. It's always here and it's always now. Um, and so I, I, I love that. And it kind of leads me to, a, I guess, a question and, and a, a place that I'd love, Amy, to hear your perspective on. Like, I, the, when you talked about, you know, your um, the injury and you said, you know, someone or someplace in the universe kind of knew, Hey like let's let's help Amy see something here and I suppose to my mind there is a spiritual underpinning to what we're talking about like a kind of perspective that um, is hugely impactful for me I think it's what myself and Mark are really passionate about pointing towards and I'm curious as to what you think the aperture for that entering into like the corporate, um, the corporate world, like how much people are starting to see, oh yeah, this is someplace. This has real utility. This has real opportunity, not just for a person in their lives, but it's actually in the corporate context it's it's beginning to become part of the fabric of that conversation i'm just really curious where you see that at the moment and what would you know what's your perspective on where the kind of spiritual underpinning meets the kind of the realities of living our lives in a work context or in a personal context
0: Al, i i think the really great news is i as i reflect back on when i started as a coach you know um Back in the 2000s, this wasn't part of the conversation. And, you know, Mark, to your point around the Eastern piece around meditation or yoga, I can remember the first 10 years of the firm's existence feeling like, wow, I'm really sticking my neck out. Now, I mean, what's amazing is 20 years later, um, it's part of the dialogue for people, right? People have headspace, they're meditating. Um, there, Every time you open your feed, there is this type of writing and thinking and more of the leadership management work around mindfulness. And you see even the large institutions educationally uh, focused on it. So I think one, the trend is in our favor in some ways to the recognition of that organizations are whole systems. Um, And I think more and more organizations are realizing that culture and talent is a competitive advantage. And so if you believe in those two things, then you believe in organizational health, then you have to look at your force work as whole people. And to say, if, you know, ultimately we're all here to, you know, do a collective mission for an organization, but find our own role in it and to feel like we matter, I think this becomes a very important conversation. Um, I think sort of the best organizations are very clear on their purpose and their why and encouraging people to make sure that that connection to the larger collective purpose and why matches to their own integrity and alignment. And I said to leaders, look, you're not going to agree with every decision your boss or the senior leadership team makes. And if, 70 to 80% of the time you're in alignment and you can get behind it, you're probably at the right place. But I've also said to leaders, you know, our conversations are 80% of the time you are in huge disagreement to the direction of this company, to the values of this organization. It's not wrong or right. It's just that it doesn't line up to your own integrity or values or purpose. And that incongruence doesn't make you a great employee. And I've said to senior leaders at the executive level, when I see that incongruence, you owe it to the organization to actually find this alignment or realize it's time to go. And so those two things have to come together.
2: Al and I were having a, an interesting discussion on our walk yesterday. And um, and I'd love your perspective on this. So when you when you're doing work with a team, um, in particular, um, you know, one of the things that we hold very true is there's no such thing as an objective reality. So, you know, every individual arrives with their set of attachments and their beliefs, and you know, and and and, and to Al's point earlier, sometimes when we go down that slippery slope of, of leader B, we kind of forget about our awareness and we we latch onto our attachments and and we, we we ship with this very subjective reality and sometimes we get mad because we can't we can't understand why people aren't seeing what we're seeing or or what have you but uh, an idea we were playing with and, I, and again I'd love your perspective on this is that may be true and is true but when you're working with a team and they feel connected in in whatever way and, and, and the values and obviously those sorts of things and, and the trust is a very important piece, but there is the power of an objective consciousness and awareness that does glue them together. And so we were playing around with this idea of, you know, there's no such thing as a subjective reality, but there's this, there's this force which is an objective consciousness that people feel connected with. And that allows teams to function in, 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 a, in a way that does create a, a powerful differentiator and a competitive edge. And I just love your perspective on that. Because if you think we're talking rubbish, then I want to hear from you. And it
1: won't be the first time we've been told we've talked rubbish. So it's definitely,
2: (laughs) we've got very thick skins.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think you're raising a great point. Uh, As teams come together, uh, what's coming to mind for me is, as you said, what I think to differentiate and make clear for yourself as a team member or team leader, what is objective? you know, what is the actual business issue on the table that we together can problem solve, which is different than your subjective experience that often is embedded in interpersonal dynamics and stylistic differences. And so I think as a member of a team, we're always tracking to, you know, two things. Number one, there's a set of subjective questions. Am I all right in any given moment? Are we all right in our working relationship? Which is different than what is the problem we're actually being asked to solve and what is right? And so I know when I have leaders bringing to me team conflict or how do we bring this team together? Step one is to like, we have to disaggregate the what is the actual objective problem on the table, whether that's sales softening, whether that's churn, whether that's pick your issue, you know, versus I'm actually upset because my colleague and I, you know, he or she makes me feel like I'm backed up on my heels and not collaborative and I don't trust them. Those are actually sort of two different things for me. Now they're interrelated then for then how we move forward. But I think for ourselves as team members, we need to differentiate how do I take care of the MIR right part and solve that or go have the difficult conversation I need to have or adjust my own style, which is different than ultimately the objective business problem that I have an accountability and responsibility to help solve objectively. And I think sometimes we mergey, mixy those two things, right? Then... I think it means teams and team leaders, because we are subjective beings with our own belief systems, our own set of values, our own way of working. I think it's really important, especially when there's interdependencies between functions that do exist in silos. You know, we can't live in a world of silos. Then it means the team leaders have to bring people together to kind of say, you know, what are the five anchoring principles by which Anytime, you know, if we're the marketing team, anytime we interface with the rest of the organization, what's the five things, no matter who you are, that we want the rest of the organization to experience? So that it's not subjective, that we together objectively agree that irrespective of person, we want the experience of finance or marketing to the rest of the organization to be what? Right. I had one leader just recently do this and she said that she and her team came up with their 10 commandments, if you will, for how they were going to treat each other and the rest of the org. So it wasn't a subjective, I, Amy Sue, happened to like to work this way. It was a, as a collective team, how are we choosing to create ways of working that signal partnership and not power dynamic? So anyway, that's my reaction to what the two of you were walking and thinking about, which I think is a very important thing to call out as organizations become more complex and far more interdependent across functional areas.
1: The example that you shared there, Amy, what did, um, was there, did you get a sense of the feeling that that person had for those 10 commandments and, um, you know, that she and her team had for what they came up with?
0: Oh, my goodness. I mean, when she debriefed it with me, it sounded like, number one, it was a powerful team bonding moment to get on the table. What was important to each member? Where was their commonality? I think it brought them together. I think it had them recommit to each other. What are we promising? What's the vow we're making to one another? And then How do we want to show up together so that if Bob is with another function or Sally's with another function, we're not being inconsistent and creating confusion. And so I I think her reflection was, even though people are working so hard and there's no time and we're at year end, the reflection from this leader was, wow, the day of just bringing my team together to talk through this was gold. And so hats off to her for having the insight, the vision, the courage. I know Mark and I were together last week at a QuickBase event talking about courage. Like that takes courage. And, you know, I was, it's just an example that has stayed with me this year.
1: Yeah, like I'm with you 100%. I think we all are, we tip the hat to the leader who has the courage to create the space for conversation and connection. And the reason I asked about the feeling is because I think everyone can connect with those moments that they have with a team where they feel the connection they have to something common between them. And I, I think for me, as you talked about, almost like letting go of the personal agenda and the personal thinking and as that falls away and, and people come together, they can feel it. They might not be always able to, to kind of describe that, but I think that's something really powerful, and I guess I think that's what we were talking about or what we're curious about is that objective consciousness is something that's felt in a team. And and there, there there's real power in that, and I guess... I wanted to use that example because because it's the to me it's a great navigation tool for a team like we feel when we're connected and we feel when we're taking things personally or kind of becoming leader B and going into the 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 closed fist, but as we become open. I think we fall, in, fall back into that connection. And, and we've been talking about like where does the word love fit in all of this? And sometimes like it, it comes with different contexts, but I think it's like it's people falling back in love with each other and the real reason why they're actually there in the first place. And, and there's so much power in that, yeah. and it's underestimated, and it's, it's why it's courageous, I think, because when a leader takes the stop, and creates these opportunities for people to fall in love with each other again and to fall into connection around their purpose, that is going to have more leverage for that team, irrespective of their circumstances, irrespective of where they are with time. It just strikes me that it's like, it's just so easy to forget that because the world we live in is fast paced and there's lots of demands and there's so many things going on in the external world. I guess maybe I'd be, I'd be interested to hear how you help people see the possibility of that given what the world looks like today, if you will, because that's such a powerful example you've shared. I, I'm kind of just curious as to how you like help leaders see that opportunity in human connection, regardless of what the circumstances say.
0: It's such an interesting um, both and to hold, right? Because on the one hand, as leaders, our awareness of the external environment and context is king, right? How I'm going to choose to lead back in 21 when the market had tailwinds and grow, 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 invest, invest, invest in headcount. Is a totally different context and environment today, where you know sales and demand are softening, companies are struggling to meet their budgets and plans, and uh, you know belts are tightening. And many of our leaders have had to experience rifts and downsizing and pulling back on gains in infrastructure. So, I think one as a team leader, leader, people leader being aware of that context. And so therefore, what is the situation or context asking of me? And I think in the environment we find ourselves in now where there are less resources, there is not just growth as a given, um, why it's even more important to be that leader that brings their team together and creates space and checks in with people and reminds them, that even though, yes, we have a lot on our plate and we're trying to be creative for how to deliver with less resources, that connection, that felt experience to one another for those that are on our teams becomes, I think, infinitely even more critical than when we're in a positive economic environment. So it's something I think all leaders should do anyway, but probably more than ever, our jobs of taking care of ourselves because we're going through it too. But what does it mean to motivate in this environment? What does it mean, you know, if we tie this back to your question about spirituality, it's a fundamental human desire to feel like we belong to something, that we're part of something bigger than ourselves. So I would say to all leaders out there, use this opportunity. I, I think this last year of market economic conditions is one of the best learning playbook building, character building, leader building, muscle building years we could have ever had. And honestly, 24, I don't think is going to look that different from 23 um, from a business perspective. And so let's not lose the lessons of this year to sharpen the saw for next year. And one of them being, to your point, Al, We live life at a felt experience that is in our body, in ourselves. It's a mind, body, emotion experience. And if we can make that connection for people, wow. Talk about contribution, impact, legacy, imprint. I hope all leaders are thinking that way right now.
2: Yeah. I mean, just to build on that, you know, one of the things that Elle and I hold to be true. Um, in our conversations and some of the work we do is we say to people, trust your feelings because we feel our thinking. So, you know, if we, if we're attaching to something so strongly and it's proving to be incongruent with the reality we're actually facing, you know, you feel that, like you feel that discomfort or you feel that anxiety or, you know, whatever it is. And, and our message is, and I'd love your perspective on this, is you have this wonderful built-in GPS or, or alarm system. It's like this, uh, I think Mavis Khan, who was one of our guests, she refers it, to it as the, the perfect operating system and app. Um, and, and so you, you have this wonderful built-in GPS that says, when you're feeling rough, and I mean, I'll be fascinated on your perspective of this as a somebody who tra- trained in psychology. But when you're feeling rough, it's probably because you're attaching to some low-level thinking. You're actually your IQ is dropping. When you feel good, even in a hard situation, even when you're doing hard things, you're probably attaching to some higher level thinking and 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 uh and so I'd love your, your perspective on that because I think it's such a powerful way of, of, of equipping leaders and say, pay attention to how you're feeling because that often points to something which then allows you to do the observation you need to do and say, oh, actually, where am I at and what do I need to shift something or make a pivot in order to change the mindset so that I can approach it from a slightly different place?
0: I I love that you're asking folks to pay attention, number one, right? To what is the feeling or the felt experience in a given moment or time. I think the second piece is then to use that as um, information, right? So the distinction for me is, can I be present to and be very clear on what I'm actually feeling, without becoming the feeling itself or becoming reactive as a result of the feeling. So I I think that's what you're highlighting, Mark, right? Which is how do we get in touch with it, but use it as vital information that, hey, I'm feeling rough at this moment, or I can feel that I'm annoyed about something, but I'm not sure what, right? Or um, I have a leader, for example, who We've come to learn when she has that feeling, it's like a spidey sense. Usually what she's on to is spot on, but she has this step between spidey sense and before she goes to the team, that if she doesn't get to clarity of what is actually bothering her, the team misreads it as her changing her mind or being indecisive. And so sometimes the risk is we go from, we know we're having a feeling, we're uncomfortable, and then we like take bias to action too quickly or we speak too soon and we create a lot of spin up and fire drill for our team or our families unnecessarily. So I think it's, I have a feeling the GPS system, the honing radar is telling me something. And now how do I get to clarity and some conviction around what is actually bothering me? so that then I can decide, is that a battle I want to pick? Is that Am I actually at a decision point? Is there a set of next information and data I actually need? I need to see the next turn of card. And so I'm going to be uncomfortable until the next turn of card comes. What I want it to do is hone that the feeling is has um, wisdom, insight value. But what I want to know is, What's the decision tree um, graph or lines that then present itself as a result of the feeling?
2: I love the way you've articulated that. And I, I think it's such a superpower for leaders. But to your point, you know, and thank goodness the world is shifting and, and perspectives are shifting, and, and possibly, you know, COVID as an event helped accelerate some of that shift. But you know when you when you bring up feelings, uh, and God forbid you bring up the word love, um, when you're talking to leaders, <laughs> um, uh, you, you know you can see some leaders they they start to look around nervously because they're like, "Well, why we why are we talking about feelings?" And it's like, "No, no, no! If you want to develop a real competitive advantage here, and you want to really." realize the potential and drive the growth and the results and things like you are equipped with some superpowers that you're just not even tapping into yet um and so it's it's um i love the fact that you articulated it that way um amy i'd love to
1: it's not necessarily changing direction but it's uh just kind of Throwing it wide open for you to uh to go where you want to go um i we we talk a lot about blowing up illusions, and so you know having read your book and now spending time with you and and just really listening to the wonderful way that you point to these possibilities what would if you were made um empress? of the entire universe and you could blow up an illusion that would be that would be most helpful for every human being that you know never to have to contend with what would be the illusion that you would choose to dismantle
0: wow that's a great question um I will tell you, it's funny. You're asking me that. I've actually been thinking a lot about recently, kind of the illusion of win loss, and you know, and the and I think in some ways it's a paradox, right? I I tend to see the world more now as both and, you know, win and loss. But if you think about the illusion of, I win, so you inherently lose or you win, so therefore I inherently lose. I think then when you thread that back to the organizations we all serve and work in, if your frame of mind is that, how will we ever get cross-functional enterprise thinking and interdependence? And so I've been thinking a lot about what is the distinction between partnership versus when power dynamic inherently shows up? in a relationship, between organizations, between countries. And so, you know, this is so idealistic. I guess I, if I could be Empress Universe, you know, in this sort of aspirational, the asymptote that never one never reaches. And even pushing myself to say, on one hand, you know, I lead this entity called Paravis, which sounds like it's in a container and a boundary, but I really sit in an ecosystem of other coaches, healers, leadership development specialists, folks as yourself who are all actually working towards the same mission. And, you know, when folks asked me about the business development and selling I do, I said, I honestly, and this is different than five years ago, I walk into every conversation now listening to the leadership or organizational need not even thinking about our organization and if our organization's the right fit I'm going to be straight with you on that and if we're not I kind of feel like I sit in this huge community of other coaches that I could refer or send on to and it's so there's a mindset piece around if we kept pulling our perspective way back and we kept zooming out you know, where could abundance go? Where could love go? Where could collaboration and partnership go? If I d- fundamentally didn't worry or think if you win, I've somehow lost.
2: That's fascinating and and, and I, I hope I don't butcher this, but um, uh, Raj Sisodia, who, um is a he's a professor at, at Babson, but he's the author of um, a number of books, you know, conscious capitalism and and um, firms of endearment. But I think it was in firms of endearment. And Raj, I'm sorry if I'm butchering this because I hope to have Raj on as a guest, so hopefully he won't uh, deny mm-hmm. our request on the basis of this recollection. But uh, he points to a lovely story which I think highlights beautifully what you've just been talking about. Um, you know, there's a, there's a an institution in Massachusetts called Jordan's Furniture, and they're one of these interesting sort of conscious uh, uh, organizations that they don't uh, manage their stakeholders in a way that one group benefits at the expense of another. So to your point about win-loss. You know, because certain organisations, you know, they prioritise one stakeholder group over the other, and and, uh, and and unashamedly, and and they don't. Jordans don't. So when IKEA decided to land in Massachusetts, they cheekily decided to take commercial space right next to Jordans, or or you know, on their eyelash, and instead of, and and that was quite an aggressive move because you know they're these two furniture um companies and 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 they, they're competing for the same footfall. And Jordans, instead of going on the offensive and and launching ad campaigns, knocking IKEA, um, they apparently put up a banner and said, We are delighted to welcome IKEA to the neighborhood and and welcome to Massachusetts. And because what they inherently understood was if, if we treat all stakeholders equally, including our competitors, we elevate the, 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 the benefit and we elevate the consciousness and we elevate the benefit for all associated stakeholder uh, stakeholders in, in, in the equation, including our broader community. And so now they understood that there were these two wonderful choices side by side. So people didn't have to commute 20 miles between different stores to do their shopping. They could come to one place and then make a choice. And then it was incumbent on Jordans to create the best experience so that they ultimately won the business. Um, But even if they didn't, there was a very good chance that somebody who bought something at Ikea would pop into Jordans and spend some dollars there that they that they uh, wouldn't have ordinarily, and so uh, I just love I love that sort of what you're pointing to there and the exploration of that because I think what Raj successfully showed was you know that the the organisations that br- embrace that kind of mindset outperform the S and P five hundred seven to one and outperform the Jim Collins uh, uh, organisations um, uh, as well, and so. Um, it's it's a fascinating thing. And so on that note, I guess um, my question in all of this is what what are you going to do next? What are you what are you focusing your sights on in terms of the next book or the next piece of research or the hypothesis that you want to scratch at?
0: It's uh, ever evolving, uh, as you both know. so I, I have no idea if at some point it will express what kind of external form things will express into so that i i can't say so um but i will say probably the topical area most on my mind and maybe you've heard it here is um you know if you think of kind of the way i would describe my work to date has been you know early in the journey and it's mapped autobiographically to my own journey right so You know, when we started the firm, I would say, if you had asked me my own personal mission or my own inner work, it was how do I discover my own signature voice and help others discover that along the way? Uh, And then I think, so that was a lot about presence. You know, what does it mean to have a connected, authentic presence? Then I'd say that that evolved into oh, even when one is trying to be present and have good communication skills and voice. In some ways, presence almost becomes an endurance game because then we're up against time and energy, which is really what expressed into the leader you want to be and leader A and leader B. Uh, And I would say if the journey's gone from presence to endurance, for lack of a better word, I'd say the chapter I am now is deeply in an inquiry around essence What is the essence? What is the wholeness of a person's life, leadership experience? What's that mosaic and quilt? Uh, You know, it's almost like those Japanese kintsugi pots where the broken pots that they put back together with beautiful gold lacquer. Um, You know, so how do we honor um, both the sad, the happy, the richness, the high, the low that just makes life? And how do you thread that and integrate that? And so I'd say my own personal mission now is how do I turn 52 last summer? How do I walk into a second half of life celebrating the imperfections of my own wholeness um, and perfections? How do I hold the perfection of what I was gifted with, but wild imperfections, but it's just me? And how do I be unapologetically me? And how do I help leaders and organizations discover that truth that reality and and kind of hold the whole mix with a little more grace, a little more levity, a little more humor. You know, as I head into decades that for sure are going to bring sorrow and losses. You know, my husband and I have four elderly parents. Uh, we're heading into decades ourselves where health and wellness are more front and center. Um. You know, the, uh, there's this great Franciscan priest I follow named Richard Rohr, who talks about second half of life as sad brightness. Um, and, you know, that whole body of work on following, falling upward. So that's what I'm up to. I don't know how it's going to show up. I suspect it's showing up in all of my coaching conversations just because... I've always enjoyed that synergy and symbiotic learning with my leaders where I learn as much from them as I hope they're getting from me. Um, but I, but again, I have no idea how that's going to manifest, uh, if at all, into an external form.
1: Well, well however it does, uh, I'm in for whatever, however that manifests itself in the world because that sounds just incredible to me. Yeah. It's, to me, you're talking to... I just hear that as like learning to love all of ourselves. And the more we can love ourselves, the more we can open our heart to loving all of everything, including other people, because we are all one and the same, really. And even when you talked about what you would blow up, that's what I heard. Like the further we zoom out, the more we see the truth of our essence. And that what's true for me is true for you, it's true for Mark. And so I just, uh, I absolutely love where you went there. Um, Amy, we, uh, we're coming towards the end of this conversation. I could genuinely, I'm sure Mark agrees, we could t- chat to you forever. Um, we do have a tradition on our podcast. I don't know if Mark gave you any heads up for this. Um, we don't apologize for it though. Um, <laughs> if, if you could create a bumper sticker for life, what would your bumper sticker say?
0: Oh that's a great question. Um my bumper sticker for life, two things popped in my mind. The first was uh you know, do you? <laughs> so again, you've heard a lot of that today. My hope for people to discover the wholeness of themselves and just do that. Do what you were made for. Go out there, contribute, express, create, love. Uh you know, um be soul-fed, be soul-happy, be alive. Uh, that was probably the one that first popped up in my my mind. But what sits behind it is, again, this deep feeling right now that I just want for myself and others to be soul-happy, soul-fed. Like, life's too short. Um, you know, go uh, use the time that whatever we're each afforded uh, and live your best life.
1: Wow. Yeah. I, I think um, if you ever get bored in the coaching business, your bumper sticker business is waiting for you because uh, <laughs> there's there's definitely more than one belter in there. <laughs> um, Amy, from my side, just kind of bringing this conversation to, it's uh, as it comes to a close, I want to just express, I've, this is my first experience of you in person and Mark has spoken so highly of you and the conversations that he's had and experiencing you with people and, uh, this has just been an incredible conversation. I deeply appreciate your openness, uh, your candor, and your ability to point in the most incredible, incredibly articulate way, but also with real deep feeling. And so uh, I hope our listeners have enjoyed it as much as I have. And I just wanted to say thank you so much for taking the time to come and chat with us and uh, come on this exploration. It's been a real joy. So I uh, just wanted to, to thank you from my side and I'll pass over to Mark for kind of his final comments before we wrap up as well.
2: Yeah, uh, Amy, I mean, uh, uh, like Al said, I I wish we could spend days together because I think we're, we're just scratching at the surface of what you are pointing to and, and some of the, the rich wisdom and insights, um, but I've, I've loved getting to know you. Um, I'm so grateful that the universe uh, allowed our paths to cross. Um, Cause I think you, I, I, you know, if you epitomize that courageous leader for me and you bring your wonderful blend of, of wisdom, but you, you, you do it with this lovely levity and this sense of humor and you, you're not taking yourself too seriously, um, and you, you're, but you're profoundly um, shaping lives and 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 unlocking things for people. And I think I think that's one of the things that I've really enjoyed is taking your work um, and sometimes taking your work with you uh, into environments where you you see how being awake awakens things in other people and and they manifest at different times in all sorts of magical ways and i think that is such a you know you've flapped your wing and uh like incredible things are happening far outside of your periphery and i'm i'm sure you have a profound sense that they are happening um and that's part of the magic that you put into the world but um yeah i've i've just uh, i think this is such a delight and uh, i'm so grateful so It's been wonderful to spend this time with you.
0: Well, Alan, Mark, thank you so much. Um, Right back at you, deepest of gratitude. I feel such a resonance and connection to the work that you're both doing here on this podcast. And again, um, embodiment of courage. I think we need to be having dialogues around things like Um, Where does spiritual development overlap with organization and leadership development? Um, Why shouldn't we be talking about love? We should be talking about love. Um, So I just so deeply appreciate what you're both putting out into the world and that I got to be a a part of it today. So thank you. You
1: It's been our absolute pleasure. And with that, everybody, that brings to an end another episode of Live Into Your Brilliance. We hope that you've enjoyed listening that the insights whatever they have take seed and flourish over the coming days weeks months and we look forward to being with you again next week until then cheerio thank you for joining us on this enlightening journey unraveling the innate brilliance within every human being we hope today's episode has sparked new thoughts and inspired fresh perspectives remember The power to shatter illusions and unleash your true potential lies within you. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite platform. If you'd like more insights and daily doses of inspiration, you can follow me on Instagram at Coaching, or you can connect with myself and Mark on LinkedIn, uh, where we will share articles and perspectives about unlocking your innate brilliance. Remember, you are capable of extraordinary things. Keep believing, keep exploring, and keep shining brightly. Take care and stay brilliant.